I have been covering COVID since the beginning of the pandemic, and just like every American, I am really tired of it. Those very, very true words came from health reporter Lena Sun. She spoke to my colleague Alahe Azadi about the new COVID boosters. And she says that people just don't seem interested in getting yet another shot. People really want to move on, and they don't want to hear about things that they would still have to do, even if they're really simple things like, if you continue to wear a mask indoors, you protect yourself and you protect your loved ones. The other thing you can do is you can improve your indoor ventilation. If I have a dinner party, I could maybe invite you because you've been previously infected and boosted, and some other people who are safe open the windows and turn on the kitchen exhaust. Um, And now that it's fall, I will probably be pretty comfortable doing that. All right, I'm looking forward to the dinner invitation, Lena. (laughs) From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, September 14th. Today, what you need to know about the latest Omicron-targeted booster shot that's being recommended by the CDC. Plus, later in the show, a conversation with wellness reporter Gretchen Reynolds about the science of sitting. Basically, your sitting can overwhelm the physiological benefits of exercise. Um, and, And that doesn't mean I'm anti-sitting. I I like to sit a lot. Okay, so here's Lena and Alahe. These updated booster shots, are they better than the original vaccine? Like, have we gotten better at figuring out how to create a shot offering a lot of protection? The answer is they don't know. They mm. hope so. And in a couple of months, we will have more data Um, from humans. The problem is that this virus is smarter than us. So that's assuming that there does not pop up a new variant in October or November that's even more transmissible than BA5. Can you walk me through who developed these boosters and what is different about this booster compared to the previous ones? The same two companies that did the previous mRNA vaccines did these boosters, Moderna and Pfizer and BioNTech. And the purpose of this booster, it's consider it a different recipe. Half of the recipe targets the original virus strain that started in China. The other half of the recipe targets the two circulating variants of Omicron that are predominant in the country. So that's BA4 and BA5. BA5 now makes up nearly 90% of all the circulating virus. And the idea is if you make a vaccine better targeted to the virus that is circulating, it will give you better protection. And Lena, who should be getting this booster? Everybody who is eligible for this booster, and that would be if you are 12 and older, you are eligible to get the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine booster. And if you are 18 and older, you can get Moderna. So if you're 18 and older, you have a choice. You could get Pfizer or Moderna. And if you're in the younger age group, you can only get the Pfizer um, bivalent booster or the updated booster or the new recipe booster. Yeah, I like the new recipe. That helps me think through exactly what this is. So we also are going into flu season and I know with the flu shot, there's an annual flu shot. The formula is different every year. Should we expect coronavirus, the the shot, the booster, to be similar to the flu shot, where there's like an annual one every year? 
So I think the public health officials are trying to move in that direction. And um, last week, the White House coronavirus coordinator, Ashish Jha, was saying that he thinks that the United States is now at this point where we could be moving to an annual COVID shot, just like the flu shot. The good news is you can get both your flu shot and COVID shot at the same time. It's actually a good idea. I really believe this is why God gave us two arms, one for the flu shot and the other one for the COVID shot. This year, I think people are expecting the flu to be maybe packing a bigger punch because the last two years we've been in isolation. We haven't been around others. Now everybody's out and about. People are not wearing masks. Viruses that circulate in the air, respiratory airborne viruses like the flu are likely to hit you more this year. So definitely should get the flu shot as well. Mm-hmm. And with this new booster, how big of a game changer is it? And is the goal here to create broad immunity or is it about making sure, you know, fewer people get seriously ill and end up in the hospital and overload our healthcare system? It's the latter. I think part of the reason why people have been confused this whole time is that when the vaccines first came out, they had such high efficacy against infection. Hmm. And people did not factor in variants. And then the variants came along and the variants were able to evade the immunity, especially Delta and Omicron. And so now the vaccines protect you very well against severe illness and death, all hospitalization. But they don't prevent across the board infection. So will this new booster be even more effective They don't know for sure. We don't have that kind of clinical data yet. But they think that based on everything else, all the studies that have gone before, that this will give you additional protection, especially if you have not had um, an updated booster um, since 2021. Lena, I am wondering about someone like me. Close listeners of the podcast might remember or know that our host, Martine Powers, and I both got COVID last month and we're both recovered and are feeling much better, thank goodness. Um, You know, but I'm someone who's been vaccinated twice, boosted. I'm also not trying to get COVID again. (laughs) So should I be getting this booster? Yes, but you should wait three months from the onset when you first had symptoms. So let's say June 1st is when you first got symptoms of COVID. July, August, September, I would wait at least three months before you get this booster. Because when you have an infection, your body produces the antibodies and you have this immunity. And if you get the booster too soon, it messes up your immune system. So you should wait. People who have been infected with COVID should wait at least three months before they get this booster. Mm. Let's say you got infected and let's say you took Paxlovid and then you got a rebound infection from Paxlovid. Then when does that clock start? That clock starts when you got the rebound. Mm. Three months from there. Yeah, yeah. But I'm also wondering, what do we know about the reinfection rates for COVID variants? Because in the beginning, there was this sort of common knowledge or understanding that if I got COVID, I wouldn't get it for a while after. But there are these new variants. It's possible to get reinfected multiple times. Anecdotally, I feel like I've heard of people getting sick kind of quickly after the fact. Well, 
if you got COVID in the beginning of the year, um, it's likely that you had a different variant. BA4, BA5 didn't really start circulating until the summer. And BA5 is a really, really wily variant and is able to escape immunity really well. And that's why people who had COVID earlier in the year were also getting hit again with a second infection. So if you had BA5, it's not that it can evade it again and you could get it again in a few weeks. Is that what the latest research shows? Yeah, the feeling is that if you had an infection, you have a certain level of protection. But it's not to say that you can go out, party, kiss whoever you want, go into, you know, mosh pits and abandon everything, right? Just use your use your common sense. You have people who have been vaccinated and then have had infection, they call that hybrid mm. immunity, actually have the highest level of protection. But that doesn't mean like, oh, I'll go out and I'll deliberately right. get COVID because that would be idiotic because you run the risk of getting long COVID. And why would you want to have brain fog for the rest of your life? This booster is supposed to give you better protection against everything, infection, serious disease, hospitalization, and death. But it's not going to prevent you from getting infected in the first place. Mm-hmm. That can still happen. It's not a magic bullet. And I wanted to ask about another group of people, and that is people who are pregnant and whether it's safe to get the COVID vaccine. That was like a question that happened, you know, when the vaccines first rolled out. I wanted to pose it to you now with the booster. What is the recommendation for this booster and those who are pregnant? For those who are pregnant, the recommendation is that you should be getting the booster because if you're pregnant, you are at increased risk for severe illness and death compared to people who aren't pregnant. And although the overall risks are low, also if you have COVID during your pregnancy, you're at increased risk for complications that can affect your pregnancy and the baby, um, such as preterm birth and um, stillbirths. There have been more studies recently about those. And The recent studies have also shown that antibodies produced in a pregnant person after vaccination are transferred to the newborn. So you get that protection um, for your baby as well. So it's essentially the guidance that was in place for the first round of COVID shots is the same regarding this new booster. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, And we already had a round of boosters before. What do we know about how many Americans actually availed themselves of those booster shots? Not enough. The federal government has been urging people to get boosters, especially those in the highest risk groups, people older um, and people who have um, more immunocompromised conditions. But uptake has been low, and we are not sure whether with this new one, whether that will increase. But people should know, starting in early January, the government is going to run out of money for a lot of COVID-related stuff. Mm. For example, those free rapid tests that people were able to order from the government delivered to your home, that program has ended Mm -hmm. because the government has run out of money and asked Congress for more money, and Congress has not said, let's give you more money. And so starting early next year, perhaps January, the movement for treatment and vaccines and tests is going to shift from free from the government more to the commercial market, i.e. insurers, patients themselves, etc. And I think the government is hoping that Congress will fork over the money that's needed to do this. 
And, and how much has the Biden administration asked from Congress for these COVID protection measures? $22 billion. So a lot of that would go to helping to develop next generation vaccines and, um, you know, reinstate the rapid test. The vaccines that would be most beneficial would be if they could figure out a vaccine that's sort of like a pan coronavirus. So you don't Mm -hmm. have to keep changing. If you think about like a stalk of broccoli, if you can get a vaccine that targets the stalk, doesn't matter how many different broccoli variations you are. You, you have, there's that common mm-hmm. common stock. Or, as my colleague, the brilliant Carolyn Johnson, wrote some months ago, if you get a nasal vaccine, you are able to stop the virus from replicating in your nose and then moving down the rest of your body. So a lot of that research is going on, but, you know, science takes time and it costs money. Yeah. Thank you for your time, Lena. Thank you for having me. Lena Sun is a health reporter for The Post. This story was produced by Charlotte Freeland. After the break, Gretchen Reynolds explains what it means to be an active couch potato. We'll be right back. In-laws, love them or hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. I'm Dan Jones, and on season four of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History and follow wherever you get your podcasts. We are told by medical professionals and public health officials that we should be doing some kind of movement or exercise for 30 minutes, five days a week. And if you are one of those people who hits that goal every single day, congratulations. You are most likely what scientists call an active couch potato. An active couch potato is someone who very dutifully gets their 30 minutes of exercise a day. They go for a 30-minute walk, but then they sit the entire rest of the day, pretty much uninterrupted. By and large, most of us sit for at least 10 hours and often 11, 12, even more hours every day between work and home. That's wellness writer Gretchen Reynolds. To me, what's really interesting right now in exercise science is that scientists are becoming able to see, even at a cellular, genetic, molecular level, what exercise does to virtually every cell in our body, and also what not exercising does to almost every cell in our body. It changes our brains. It changes our genetics. It changes everything about what's going on inside of us. Gretchen has been writing about the science of movement and the body for years. She even coined and popularized the whole seven-minute workout. 
She sat down with Elahe to explain what exactly is an active couch potato and how a recent study showed that exercising for 30 minutes a day may not be enough. Do you know who came up with this term or how it came across your radar, why it caught your attention? Well, it has been in use in the scientific community, which is kind of funny because it's not a, a particularly scientific sounding term. But, <laughs> but it all. does <laughs> but but it does encapsulate the issue, which is that people are many of us are trying to get in the amount of exercise that is recommended, but then we just sit the entire rest of the day. And it looks like what happens when we do that is we undermine the the benefits of exercise. So it's almost like it undoes it, or is it even matter if I've exercised for 30 minutes if I'm just going to sit around all day? Yes, it still matters. But the study study that I wrote about was, in effect, scientists said, okay, we're seeing this phenomenon, and and they have been seeing it in, in a number of previous studies of people who exercise and then sit all day. And there were hints that that is not good for your metabolic health. So for the study that I just wrote about, they looked at this huge database that they had of information about every single Finnish person who was born in northern Finland uh, about four decades ago. And they've been following them through all the decades. And recently, they asked this group of people to wear a, a really sophisticated fitness tracker that can really carefully uh, measure every movement that you make throughout the day in six-second increments. So every (laughs) six seconds, it checked to see whether someone was sitting, standing, exercising, or not. And then they looked at how healthy these people were. And they found some really interesting data. Yeah, and I want to know more about that data because, Gretchen, I have a confession. I love to sit. (laughs) It's something I think about. Like, I'm very pro-sitting. Anyone who's ever had a job that requires them to be on their feet all day might feel the same. Like, sitting all day is a luxury. So so can you walk me through the study? Like, convince me. What makes researchers so sure about this active couch potato theory? Well, this was, for one thing, a very large study um, that involved more than 3,700 men and women. And what they found was there were essentially four groups of people when they divided them by movement. And what they found was any of these people who sat less than the couch potatoes, whether they got up and moved around lightly, whether they exercised more, whether they did both, they were much healthier metabolically. They had better blood sugar control. They had better blood pressure. They had better insulin sensitivity, and they had lower body fat than the couch potatoes. And the only real difference was primarily that they sat less. Gretchen, what do you think is going on in the body that would cause this change, that would have this, you know, result in this? Well, there's a a mounting body of evidence that sitting, and I I know you like it, I like (laughs) it, we all like it. We we actually are born to sit far more than born to run. Um, Really? 
That's it, news to me. <laughs> it, 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 it's true. Actually, when they've done, this is separate, but when they have done studies of hunter-gatherers, they sit at every possible opportunity because they don't want to burn energy. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm just out we, here trying to survive, Gretchen. <laughs> it, 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 yes, and sitting is a very good survival mechanism, except that in our modern environment, we can sit so much mm. that there are physiological effects from sitting that are completely separate from the physiological benefits of exercise. So you can, in effect, accumulate the negative impacts of sitting to such an extent that exercising for just 30 minutes will not undo them. Basically, your sitting can overwhelm the physiological benefits of exercise. Um, and, and that doesn't mean I'm anti-sitting. I, I like to sit a lot. You're sitting um, right now, I can see. <laughs> I, I am. And, and it's, it's been interesting because I'm aware of the negative potential health impacts of sitting. And I still sit all the time. I've sat mm. more during the pandemic than ever in my life. So this study was actually really helpful in reminding me that there are multiple ways that you can decide to spend your day to make yourself healthier. Some of the people in this study got up and moved around more. And that could mean vacuuming, it could mean cooking, it could mean gardening, it could mean just walking down the hallway to talk to your colleague instead of another Zoom call. Um, right. Very small things can have a big impact. If you don't have time or inclination to do that, maybe try and fit another 30 minutes of exercise in. Take another longer walk in the evening. That's another way that you can, in effect, undo the bad parts of sitting. Yeah, yeah. Well, Gretchen, I have to say, I think you've convinced me. As soon as we log off here, I'm going to stand up and go for a walk. <laughs> so am I. Gretchen Reynolds is a writer for The Post's new wellness section called Wellbeing. Her column, Your Move, launches today. This story was produced by Alana Gordon. And that's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Lexi Diao. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Class is in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen.